Ephesians chapter 6, be looking at the start of verse 17 of this helmet of salvation. And that's what Paul instructs here. Just a simple statement. And take the helmet of salvation. Now this morning we're going to be answering three questions again, like we've done this past few weeks, looking into the armor of God. We're going to ask and answer, uh, what is it? Why do we need it? And what difference does it make? And just with every other piece of armor that Paul has talked about up until this point, he's already referenced it back in the previous chapters or his previous writings in the book of Ephesians. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1 because I want to read a little bit of a passage here. Uh, We spent a, a good deal of time in this particular passage as we were beginning this series. But it's going to be Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as we're looking at salvation, this is kind of similar to what faith, we talked about faith last week, is there's so many different ways that faith can be presented. And that's true in the biblical standpoint. And it can be true in salvation as well. Now, there's not multiple ways that salvation is achieved. Granted, that is only through Jesus Christ. But we want to make sure that we are looking at this piece of armor, this helmet of salvation, in the context of what Paul is writing here. And he's writing still in spiritual warfare. And if you've noticed that every piece of armor up until this point has been protective in its nature. And that's no different with the helmet of salvation. This is a piece of armor that helps to protect you in your battles, in your spiritual warfare moments. So what does the helmet protect? It protects our minds, correct? Our thoughts, our, 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 our reasoning, the way that we look at things, the way we process things, and the way that we view things. So we need to make sure that we're viewing salvation as it protects our minds through these times of spiritual warfare. Now, as we've also done throughout this, have a little bit of an imagery that Paul's using here. Uh, Most all of us would be familiar with a Roman helmet during this time in the Greco-Roman army of what that would have looked like. It would have been, there were several different types, but the one would have had the, the great you know, the red, almost feather, horse-type mane that goes up above, and it protects down over your head, comes way down here low on your brow and protects your ears and back behind your head. But there was also like this piece of leather, and sometimes it would be metal in the heavier armor, but most of the time it was a very thick piece of leather that would cover down onto the shoulders and over your shoulders 
as well. Because there was a recognition that these were susceptible, vulnerable areas as well. Uh, and, you know, as I was thinking about these, these moments where sometimes we leave areas of our lives vulnerable and open and unprotected in our spiritual battles, I, I, I thought of young Ben once again, around 17, 18 years old Ben. And this Ben decided that he had seen enough Steven Seagal movies that he needed to go and start practicing Aikido. <laughs> needed to start taking some Aikido lessons. So I did that, and I had watched probably seven to eight Steven Seagal movies, so I knew what I was doing. I was not a beginner walking into these classes. So I walk in, and he's showing us some kind, and Aikido is basically using the opponent's aggression against them. It's kind of a body weight thing. Use them, you know, their force, their mass, their weight behind, you know, against them. And they were showing us this one move, and me and my buddy went to the class together, so they had us paired up, and it was some kind of wrist lock or something and you know they, they were talking about here's how you do it and that will pretty well debilitate someone and we're both trying it on each other's like this doesn't work god doesn't know what he's talking about and he's like no you need to move your thumb up about a half an inch and we're still doing it i'm like this hold doesn't work and he's like here let me show you he puts on me like Dah! you know i fall dead weight onto the floor but i'm still young ben thinking that i still know more than this guy so he's, at that point, he's talking to us about different pressure points and things. And, and any Star Trek fan, like the Vulcan death grip or whatever it, it was. But there's this spot with this nerve right in your, your shoulders and neck area here. And if any of you have ever been to a massage therapist, that's kind of the one that they decide to do jump, jumping jacks on you know, while, they're, while they're adjusting you. But he was like, right here. I was like, we, again, we were trying it on each other, not having learned anything. Couldn't do it. This doesn't work. He's like, here, let me show you. Boom, dead weight again. So I learned very quickly that not only are there vulnerable, susceptible areas of our bodies that only a few people really have the ability to, to you know, utilize and use against us, but also that there are times in our spiritual lives as well that we may think that we're well protected. We may think that we're ready. We may think that we're strong, but out of nowhere something can come along and take the legs right out from underneath us. And then if you're anything like me, you have one of those moments and then you get right back up and you still feel bulletproof and thinking that I'm good, there's nothing else that's going to come. Okay, there it is again. Isn't that kind of how we do sometimes? But God is speaking through Paul and giving us these items, these spiritual warfare protection uh, items and mechanisms that, that work for our good. So I want to introduce one word to you this morning that salvation, the helmet of salvation does for our minds in the midst of spiritual battle. It gives us hope. It gives us hope. Now, as we look at salvation, again, there's so many different ways that we could view this. And if we're viewing salvation from a protection, a defense mechanism, something that we can base our foundation of hope upon, we're not talking about this, about eternal salvation. 
Now that's part of it because there's, there's this element of it that we have an assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ that's not based on us. It's based on His work. Because if there was any type of salvation that we could be assured of, that we could perform in and of our flesh, that was proven completely and totally false in the entirety of the Old Testament. Amen? There's no way that you and I can reach the point that we are good enough in and of ourselves that we have any type of hope of salvation. So we're saved through His blood, through His grace, by our faith in Him. That is a work of Jesus Christ and His grace on the cross and that alone. But we have this process that we go through that you know, we are, we're a new creation, but we're not completely new just yet. We have a promise of a new glorified body, but we're still in this process of arriving to that place. We have this eternity with God promised, but there's still this life that we live in obedience to His commands and love to Him. So we find ourselves having to protect our minds when we feel like all hope is lost. And I don't know about anyone else in here, but these past two years almost have been one of the biggest challenges in my life when it comes to my hope. Talk about moments that knock you off your feet, right? That you didn't see coming. So let's, let's think about it this way. If we're looking at this concept of salvation, and when it becomes something that we can ground our hope in, let's look at the fact that no one apart from Jesus has this type of hope. And that's what, in part, that's what we're here this morning celebrating. And I want to take a very quick look, and I know that this is not going to be exhaustive. I understand that moving forward. So there's going to be a lot of holes that you could poke in what I'm getting ready to say here. There's a lot of opportunity for us to open up conversations and greater depths of dialogue from this point on, and I understand that. But I feel like it's important that we look at at least three worldviews. The way that things are based off of religions, ideologies, philosophies, there are three main ones that we need to be aware of this morning as we're looking at hope. And the first one of these worldviews that I want to present to you is materialism. Okay? This is the belief that everything is about matter. Everything is about what we see, about what we feel, about what we experience, that there is no emotions, there's no spirituality. What we see here is the extent of it. What you can see, sense, and experience in a, in a materialistic, physical way is all there is. There's nothing after this. When you die, you just return back to the earth. There was nothing that took place beforehand. And basically, this is eliminating any type of supernatural element whatsoever. Now, if you live your life from a materialism standpoint, then the salvation that comes through that ideology and philosophy is this. Live as long of a life as you can and live as good a life as you can. And that's it. Now, don't get me wrong. 
There are a lot of people who believe this, this ideology, that believe this worldview, who are good people who do good things. They do good works in our eyes. They serve their community. They're good family members. They're great parents. They're great co-workers. They do things for others. They, they're, they're not bad people in our definition of the term, but they simply have a worldview that believes that this is all there is. So salvation in that is that live as long as you can, live as good a life as you can. And that's the hope that their life is built on. Trying to live long, trying to live well. Then the second type of worldview is pantheism. Now this worldview basically consists of this, that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Like, every blade of grass that we see is God. Every tree that we see is God. Every breath, every leaf, everything that's constructed, there is really nothing that this material, this matter that we talked about in materialism, are, is basically all just a filter for something spiritual. It's just a housing mechanism that truly doesn't exist but it's a house for something spiritual. So everything is spiritual. Everything is supernatural. Everything is cosmic in its nature. And history in this mindset, in this worldview, is a cyclical one. It just is something that repeats over and over and over again, and it happens forever and forever and forever and forever. And there's no end to this, that it's just a continual cosmic cycle that rotates itself through time, and there's no end for it. And salvation in this mindset for pantheism is basically what we see in the Hindu faith and among several Buddhist faiths is that salvation is to somehow be able to break this cycle like if you live a life that's not great then it's probably a punishment for a bad life beforehand and if you have bad karma then that's going to carry over into the next life and the next life is going to be a little bit worse so you're living this life to try to work and try to do enough good things that your next life's not going to be as bad or as suffering as what this life has been and the salvation in this one is your only hope is to break the cycle that somehow, some way, you can be good enough, you can live good enough, you can do enough good things, you can have enough good karma, that eventually you're just going to be reabsorbed back into the cosmic energy. You achieve this state of nirvana, and you are absorbed back into the cosmos, into this cosmic energy at peace. And that's salvation. But then you have monotheism as a worldview, which is what we believe as Christians in a singular God. And this type of theism believes that it is about matter, that what we're experiencing here, what we see here, what we touch here, what we feel here is real. And we also believe that there's a spiritual element to our existence and what's happening also. But the one thing that we do instead of just blending these two is that we believe that God the Creator is transcendent over everything. 
We believe that there is a God. We believe that there is a creator. We believe that there is a greater power than us, that it is God the Father who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. So there, in this worldview, there's no denial of the material aspect of our world, and there's no denial of the spiritual aspect of this world. But instead of nothing at all or some amoebic force being in control of everything, we believe that there is a creator God that we serve. And salvation in this worldview means that time is linear. We believe that there's a beginning and an end. We believe that our history and our time here on earth is moving us towards something. And that towards something can either be an eternity in heaven with God or an eternity apart from God in hell. We believe that there is a destination. We believe that there is a soul. We believe that there is something that happens after this. But our salvation comes from not just a hope in something that we're going to do that's going to qualify us to be good enough to live a long life, or that we're going to qualify ourselves by having enough good karma and doing enough good deeds that we will eventually cycle ourselves out of this mess, we believe that there was a Savior that came on our behalf over 2,000 years ago who laid down His innocent life because we could not live innocently. We believe that He took upon his back and his shoulders the punishment and the weight for our sins that we are guilty of continually not just at one moment but we believe that there was a savior named jesus who came to this earth who laid down his life who rose again who ascended into heaven and is now alive at the right hand of god and we believe that even though we're not perfect even though we mess things up consistently, daily, frequently, that we have this hope that there's something bigger than you and I. And that is the hope that I want to talk to us about this morning. Now, I want to take a look at this. Think about what we place our, our greatest amount of hope in. Because I think, and, and I hope that you all can at least relate on some degree, I think that hope has been challenged Unlike ever before through this pandemic. Has anybody experienced challenges in your hope through this time? That man, I mean, it's just there's new levels of struggling with that than I think that we've all experienced it. And you know, when I begin to look at the other two worldviews, the main worldviews, if I look at the materialism and I'm thinking, what if my hope's found in that? And I'm like, how how would I how would I equate that? What kind of example would I give? And the only thing I can remember to think about was maybe, if you're a football fan, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, a couple years ago, we won a Super Bowl, and I was elated, I was so happy. Cincinnati Bengals fans, you can, oh no, wait a minute, sorry. Okay, baseball, 2016 World Series, the Cubs win, I'm extremely happy, and like within the last three decades, Cincinnati Reds fan, no, wait a minute, not a lot of hope there, is there? But even when we look at the most successful of our times here with a materialistic nature of hope, it's fleeting, isn't it? Listen, 
East Carter had a fantastic win on Friday night. Several first-time evers that took place Friday night. And all of it, listen, I found out, I discovered Friday night, that I can take one full-force elbow to the side of the head and, and still be standing. Now, coherent, I'm not convinced of it. But if you've ever wondered what a press box with two middle-aged men, Jim Shelton being the other one, for those of you who know Jimmy Shelton, elated and as he comes running over me towards me we meet in the middle of the air in one of the most awkward bro hugs that you've ever seen in your life and apparently he doesn't have really good aim with his right elbow because it came across like this and nailed me i don't i don't i don't know what i called the rest of the game I'm, it may have been completely false but even in that moment of celebration even in that moment of sports Always a Raider euphoria. That's fleeting. That's fleeting. My friends, we're going to talk about what difference does it make here in a minute. And I want you to run all of this through the filter of our hope in Jesus Christ never fades. He is a source of hope that will never, ever fade. That is so amazing, isn't it? So let's look at what difference does it make. What kind of difference does this make? So if we're taking the helmet of salvation, we have to look at a few scriptures. I believe that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we grieve differently. Let me read this scripture. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So when we're talking about the helmet of salvation and salvation through Jesus Christ and the hope that brings us, what difference does that make? It makes a difference in the way that we grieve. Now notice... This scripture is not telling you that we do not grieve. We grieve. If you've ever lost someone you cared about deeply, you know that grief is real. If you've experienced tragedy in your life, you know that grief is real. If you go through heartache, turmoils, trials, and tribulations, you understand that grief is very real, no matter how much we love Jesus. Amen? It's real. But it says that we grieve differently, that we may not grieve as others do who have no hope. When you have Jesus Christ, no matter what you lose here on earth, your hope is never taken away from you. You can lose everything you have financially, but your rock of hope of Jesus Christ is still there. You can lose family members that you are so that are so dear and so close to your heart, but guess what? Jesus Christ is always there. Situations of this world can totally fall apart. You, you can be abandoned. You can be forsaken. You can be almost taken completely out. But the one thing about it is, is we do not lose hope. Because our hope in the lyrics of the, the hymn, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Do we grieve? Yes, we grieve. So don't think that just because you love Jesus means that grieving shows weakness. No. Grieve. But grieve differently. Because that's the one thing that I've challenged myself, especially through this pandemic, is the church, the people need to look at the church. The people need to look at me. And they need to see someone who's grieving what's going on around, who's sympathetic, who's empathetic to everything that's happening. But they need to see a source of hope. Because they're grieving differently. The second thing, I believe, the second difference that we make is that with the helmet of salvation and this hope being secure, that we encourage others. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's talking about our moment of when we see Jesus face to face. Regardless of if, if we find ourselves in this place when Jesus returns or if we've gone by the grave, our source of hope, our focus, just as Brian and a couple other people have talked about here, that turning your eyes upon Jesus, when that is your focus, Guys, the world could literally be going to hell all around you, but our hope remains the same because that is our focus, and we need to encourage each other that way. And how do we encourage each other that way? Well, when you see or you're talking with, you're spending time with a brother and sister who seems to really be struggling and getting too wrapped up in what's going on in our world, too wrapped up in things that are going on in their lives, we need to make sure that we are lovingly encouraging them to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because there is where our hope is found. The next area of what difference it makes it needs to make a difference in us living pure lives. In 1 John 3, 1-3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The difference that the helmet of salvation makes in our life, this hope, is that we live pure lives because we understand that what we're living now is not what our hope is based in. But our hope is based in an eternity in heaven with Him and us living pure, holy lives as He is pure, as He is holy, keeps us grounded in this hope that one day, no matter what our exit will be, whether it be through tribulation, whether it be through natural causes, or whether it be when Jesus returns, when we see Jesus face to face, our hope is based on living, pure, holy lives 
as God is pure and holy. The next difference that it makes, we should be working hard for God. We need to be working hard for God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, out of the New Living Translation, and this is the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is unpacking the resurrection. He's talking about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how without the resurrection, our faith is meaningless. Sacrifice was necessary. The burial was necessary. Him coming was necessary. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith has no meaning. And this is how he concludes it. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I want to ask you a a really hard question that I had to ask myself this week. Do you approach your work for the Lord as as enthusiastically as you do your work that provides income? Or if you're retired, are you working for the Lord as enthusiastically as you did when you were working to provide not only the income then but the retirement now? Are you working that hard for Him? Are you working that enthusiastically for Him? I dare say that many of us don't really care for the answer to that question. Work hard for the Lord because our hope is not found here. Our hope is in the salvation and that assurance of Jesus Christ. And lastly this morning, what difference does it make? means we need to hold fast to Jesus. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how indifferent your situation currently may be, hold fast to Jesus. Because I can promise you, if things are going really well in your life right now, you need Him just as much as you need Him when things aren't going really well. Most of the time what we see is people who kind of fall into a couple different categories in their walk with God. That, hey, when things are going bad, I turn to God. My relationship with Him is strong. I'm praying, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm seeking His face, I'm coming to church, I'm in strong fellowship with one another, I'm reaching out to my brothers and sisters in Christ because I need their help, things are bad. But then the moment when things begin to turn around, and things start going well again, then maybe we slack off in those things. And then I think we see the other extreme of that too, that, hey, as long as everything's going good in my life, As long as everything's kind of hunky-dory in the way that I want it, man, I'm going to serve God then because, man, things are good and I'm going to praise Him for that. But the moment that things begin to get bad, then I'm going to shake my fist in the air and say, why God? Why are you punishing me? A good God would never do this. You see, what we need to be is we need to be that person right in the middle that when things are bad, I praise Him. When things are good, I praise Him. When things are the way that I want them, I praise Him. When the things aren't the way that I want them, I praise Him. How do we get there? We hold fast to Jesus and we understand that our hope is in Him, not 
in our circumstances. I want to ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up this morning. My challenge to you today would be this. Which one of the three are you in here? If you're a believer, which one are you? Are you the one who turns to God when things are bad, but then kind of falls away, grows apathetic and grows complacent whenever things are going well? Or are you the person that when things are going well and you're getting your way, that's when you want to honor and praise God and you want to celebrate Him. But the moment that something doesn't go your way, that, that, that kind of wrecks your faith a little bit. You begin to play a little bit of a victim's role and you fall away. My heart's prayer is not only for me, because I know I'm not there, but it's my prayer for me and my prayer for you that we will all find ourselves in that third category, that middle ground of where even, even if things are perfect, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to give you the honor and the praise for them. Or if things are terrible, and I'm going to praise you even in the midst of this storm because you are my source of hope that never leaves, never forsakes, never abandons, and maybe most importantly, never gives up on me never gives up on me.